Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host Lane Nordland. Alrighty, friends, welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordland, happy to be your host as always. And as we continue to make our way through here in the first part of 2021, there is a lot happening on the national scene and, and also uh, on the regional scene in terms of we're finally getting some cold weather and possibly some moisture here across the west where I live and hopefully wherever you are tuning in at here today you are getting some much needed precip or snow or whatever it may be here as uh, we uh, move throughout the winter of 2021 and today we are going to be talking about uh, an important subject to not only cattlemen and women but also to consumers the end users of our product but uh, first I'm going to introduce our guest today he's the CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Mr. Colin Woodall joins us from the NCBA headquarters in Denver, Colorado today. Uh, Colin, how's your morning shaping up here today? We're actually getting some of that snow right now, Lane, and we are desperate for it, just like you talked about. For most of uh, the cattle producers in the West, every flake is welcome. So uh, we're just going to hope that it keeps coming down. Hopefully we can Use that to uh, to salvage a little forage production here in the spring, not knowing when this uh, particular drought's going to break. And I know it's on the minds of everybody out there, just how long we're going to go before we can really see a change in this weather pattern. And so all eyes are on uh, La Nina and El Nino and when those two will switch again. Well, like I woke up to about a brisk zero degrees here this morning in southwest Montana, and uh, we've had snow on the ground for a few weeks. It has been colder here, but uh, we've just had really bad wind that is just blowing, I mean, all, all the cover snow off, you know, for our, produ- our ranchers and, and cattle producers that also have uh, winter wheat crops. It, it it hasn't been too great here in the west, and I know uh, looking to the west coast, they're going to get hammered with a foot of rain. In, in, on the on the west coast of California, which I'm just like, well, that that's going to cause some erosion. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, definitely going to need some some good weather here as we move into uh, into the springtime and the summer. I mean, we we've seen these uh, wildfires pick up over the past few years, and we know the important role that, of course, uh, uh, cattle play in in managing uh, those uh, those wildfire areas in terms of grazing on private and public lands, but. You know, this all, Colin, comes into the conversation about sustainability, and and it's also a discussion that's happening not only in Washington, D.C. with this incoming Biden administration, but, of course, with our producers that uh, have practiced sustainability for, for decades. Um, we, we know how sustainable we are in the industry. Uh, we know the inputs. We, we, we know how much less grass that it takes to raise cattle nowadays and how much feed input. Um, and so that really is what I want to focus on here today. Um, so from the NCBA side of things, Colin, c- could you give me a little bit of a background on the topic, I-, I-, I guess the term sustainability, and really why it's important for cattle producers to understand and engage in with these issues, especially when we have uh, a new administration in Washington, D.C. that may be looking at sustainability climate, natural resources, much different than administrations have in the past. What I have found when you bring up the topic of sustainability among cattle producers is you usually get one of three reactions. 
you have those who are very much engaged and see what sustainability means to the industry. You have those that just get mad because they say, oh, here we go. We're talking about sustainability again. And this is somebody else is trying to tell me what I need to do on my operation. Or you get those who uh, decided it's time to take a quick nap or just let their eyes glaze over because they've just they've heard about this so often. And what we're trying to do is get everybody's attention on the issue because it's not going away. We have been working on this for going on almost two decades as an association in various shapes, forms, and in fashions. It's been really interesting to see the evolution of the sustainability discussion within NCBA. And this was one where we saw consumer groups and companies really bring this to the forefront of NCBA and cattle producers. And at first, you know, the thought was, okay, well, this is just a, another fad, another thing that somebody's going to work on that will probably go away. Well, what we have discovered is that's just not the case. Sustainability is here to stay. And whether you call it sustainability or you try to bring in uh, other words, you know, we've heard about regenerative agriculture, uh, other you know, names that, that are used, it all just comes back to what, what are we doing to make sure that we're taking care of the resources. And I think for way too long in CBA, the cattle industry, I think everybody engaged in the sustainability discussion, uh, spent too much time talking about potential rules and regulations and requirements, basically saying that sustainability was all going to be about placing more burden and more onus on the cattle producers. And what we have to try to do as an association now is really change that narrative. Because all you have to do is look back at the history of our members and the number of NCBA members who have been in this business for generations. You know, sometimes five, six, in some cases, seven generations, especially when you look at those members who can trace their operations back to the, uh, the early days of uh, the settlement of, of the East Coast. If that's not sustainability, I don't know what is. And it's incumbent upon us to take that model and change this narrative and stop talking about it from the perspective of what's going to be done to us and really turn it into this opportunity to spread the message of the great work we're already doing. And the example that you gave as we started the discussion today, I think is, is a great one. You talked about the wildfires that devastated the West throughout this summer and into the early fall. And now what we're seeing in Southern California is we have all of this rain coming and precipitation. So not only did those fires destroy the, uh, the landscape, but now with nothing holding that, uh, that ground together, you're going to see all sorts of mudslides, landslides due to this. So it's going to be a double whammy for those individuals. And if we can go back and try to use that with this new administration in particular to talk about the benefits we bring, hopefully we can get some people's attention because that's what it's all about. Uh, it, we, we've allowed the activists We've allowed the lawmakers, the policymakers, to make some really bad decisions in land management. And it's our sustainability as an industry that will uh, benefit us and solve a lot of these problems. So being able to take that to this new administration 
And being able to take that to this new Congress is a key priority for NCBA as we start out 2021. Now, as you uh, mentioned, there's kind of the three different reactions uh, to the term and of, of sustainability. And whether it's when I'm checking, you know, out Twitter, Facebook, whatever it may be, and you see the threads of people's um, dialogue or arguments, I, 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 we could call it arguments and dis- disagreements on, on so many different issues within the industry. And one of those questions that's always posed, um, which is, you know, understandable when people ask this question, you know, is the issue and topic of sustainability, you know, is it being driven by the industry or, or is it the work of environmental groups putting pressure on us from the outside? Um, what is your response to that? So I think initially it was outside groups activist groups, even a lot of corporate entities that started the conversation. But as it has evolved, what we have found is if, if we're going to have control over it, we've got to be at the table discussing it. Uh, a lot of NCBA members and listeners to your podcast will remember the former NCBA president from Nebraska, J.D. Alexander, who always said, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. So I think that has helped us uh, carve a, a better niche for our engagement to be able to come in and say, all right, all right, this, this conversation is going to move on, but by golly, it's going to move on with us helping dictate where we're going. And I think that it definitely helped us take more control over the process and give us some more opportunities. So it's no longer just about the activists driving this. It's a realization that the issue is, is not going away. It is something that the consumers bring up. It is something that we hear from retailers. And what we are seeing from President Biden and his administration is that climate change is his top priority. He has executive orders already regarding climate change. The transition team that came in after the election focused on climate change. And so sustainability being a part of that discussion is key and another great example of why we can't afford to just sit back and watch this play out. We have to take an active role because if we don't take an active role, somebody else will. That's what you find when there are voids, especially voids in a political landscape. Somebody's always going to come in and fill that void. And if you don't do it, the person who does may not necessarily have your best interests in mind. And we have to keep that front and center of our engagement, that we've got to be there and try to shape the discussion. And I do believe we have a very unprecedented and unique opportunity with this administration to do that. They have spent time putting together memos on how they want to move forward with the issue of climate change. And we have been uh, pleased that everything that we have seen points to agriculture as being a part of the solution. And we've already had conversations with the uh, nominees for USDA and the nominee to be the new EPA administrator. And the door has been opened for us to go in, have those conversations, and we've been welcomed. Now we're going to see how long that lasts. We have to go in eyes wide open, uh, wide open, knowing that there's any number of things that uh, that could come of that. But we've got to be there 
telling our story. And so far, the reception has been a good one. And the fact that they already recognize that they need to work with us and that they want to work with us is a step in the right direction. So we're going to capitalize on that and make sure it is the needs of the cattle producers in our industry that get that consideration rather than having it dictated back to us. No, 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 exactly. And and as you mentioned, you know, it, it is nice at, at this point to see agriculture being part of their solution. But uh, as you said, that could easily change just depending on who the staff person is or, or who the uh, who the agency heads are going to be. So, you know, with that, it takes so much, you know, work to be able to, to, to share uh, the producer's story on their behalf. Can, can you maybe talk about... Uh, what NCBA has done in the past on the topic of sustainability and what maybe the plan is going forward uh, in, in working on sharing the story of sustainability and helping producers become more sustainable. One of the big areas that we have focused on is in regards to just getting the facts, the figures, and the data put together that supports what we do as a benefit to the natural resources and something that supports all that great work as a true solution when it comes to sustainability. This goes back to the work that we did as a contractor to the beef checkoff, putting together a life cycle assessment and continuing to update the research that uh, the checkoff funded portion of our work here has uh, has continued to uh, to put together our engagement in different uh, bodies that are addressing this and also just getting out and promoting our track record. Uh, again, I think that is that is just a key to to our ability to succeed here is trying to change that narrative away from you know sustainability being about putting more layers of bureaucracy and burden on us and talk about the work we've already done. You know, one of the great talking points that's been out there for quite some time is the fact that we can produce the same amount of beef today as we did in 1977 with a third fewer cattle. And there's all sorts of things that we have done as an industry to make that happen, improvement in genetics, better management practices, et cetera. But we did that without the government telling us to do that. And I think that's a key component of our industry that we can sell in this discussion is we're always committed to continual improvement. And the industry in five years, 10 years, 50 years is going to be even better and more efficient than it is today. That is, that is a given. There are land-grant universities. There are uh, other groups out there doing, doing research, doing work to find ways to get more and more efficient and effective in the production of cattle and beef. Uh, one of it is because uh, that's what we're always striving to do is, is, is do more with the limited number of resources that we have, but then also recognizing that those resources are going to continue to shrink on us. So we want to make sure that we continue to play a very beneficial role in feeding not only the country, but the world. Uh, we've got to do more with less, and we're doing that. And that really drives the essence of what sustainability is. Not to mention that when you look at cattle production, across the country. In a lot of places, we're able to take lands that could not grow broccoli or cauliflower, but it grows great grass. And being able to graze that and turn it into high-quality protein 
gives us that leg up in, uh, in, in utilizing those natural resources, the care of the animal, to put together what we believe is the greatest taste of protein in the world. Uh, but getting that information out is is a key component to what NCBA has done. I think that you're going to see even more of that as we do start to work with this uh, with this administration to showcase that information, showcase those facts, and build upon those facts. And, and Colin, over the past uh, few years, of course, uh, these uh, fake products or fake protein Im- imitation products out there, um, uh, Impossible Whopper, uh, fake burger, er- er- everything that they're you know they're trying to imitate that protein that healthy, nutritious, natural protein that we produce. And they're trying to influence consumers about that being healthier, uh, helping, uh, trying to be more sustainable, the, these imitation products. So how do we as an industry look at the end users, the, the, the consumers of beef, and h- how do we listen to what their concerns are about sustainability and what their stand is when it comes to what they're focused on in, in their buying decisions and looking at, at beef as as a product that they want to consume and also tying that into sustainability because the fake meat companies are really driving and banging that drum that they are sustainable. How, how do we listen to those end consumers so they turn to us instead of these uh, fake products that uh, truly have a million different things in them when we're producing one protein that is just beef. Well, you really keyed on it. We have to listen to that consumer. And the consumer is already asking questions about sustainability. And I do believe that's going to continue to grow. Uh, There is more and more interest in where their food comes from. And to be honest with you, I think everything that we dealt with through 2020 and the ongoing COVID pandemic has just driven even more attention to where food comes from. But that, again, gives us the opportunity to talk about those, uh, those data points, those figures about the good work we're already doing, not only to the producers to make sure that they understand it, but also to the consumer to make sure the consumer gets it. Because you're right, we continue to be hit by fake meat companies that they are uh, better for the environment than the real thing. Now, one of the silver linings that came out of the COVID crisis is we got to take a, a true test of the water when it comes to the consumer. Because what we saw was a scenario where the consumers were, were scared uncertain about what the future was going to hold in terms of of COVID and and what we were about to uh, jump into. Uh, They really wanted comfort. They wanted something to make them feel a little bit more certain about how they were going to move forward in life. And that's why we saw those grocery cases absolutely cleaned out of beef. Because when they had the choice, when they wanted some comfort, they wanted to go in and take beef. And we saw photograph after photograph of beef cases across the country where you couldn't see a single package of beef, but yet right next to it was a fully stocked case of Beyond Beef. So while we know it's a discussion point, while we know it's probably going to grow, I think COVID gave us a very, very valuable lesson that the consumer is still attached to real beef, 
They want our product. They believe in our product. And as long as we can stay ahead of them, showing how they can feel comfortable and continuing to buy our product, I think we can beat those fake meat products every day. So as we look at this, a lot of producers will say, you know, how much money is this going to cost me? Uh, and that's a conversation all of us have at, at our, you know, kitchen tables, talking with, you know, the, the folks or the in-laws or, or your business partners and all of our operations. Um, so when we look at the work that we have to put in with sustainability, the, the work that we are already doing, maybe some new methods to, to help improve uh, our production. And, um, what... what does this add more cost to your operation in the long run, I guess, is the point I'm trying to make. That, that's what a lot of people are, are probably going to be asking. Is it going to cost me money that may potentially, you know, not benefit my operation in, in, in you know, in the short term? But when we're looking to the long term, uh, how does sustainability play into that business plan and, and your profit loss sheet? For NCBA members, that is the question. It's about profitability. And what I will tell you about NCBA's position is that is the number one priority for us because if you're not profitable, if you can't stay in the business, we're not going to have a sustainable business. It, it truly is as simple as that. So not only that does that help us recognize where we need to put our efforts, but that also gives us yet another talking point to go out and sell what we're doing because if uh, if if this is uh, too burdensome, it adds too much cost. People aren't going to do it. If we have more regulations, then that just continues to make it harder for us to stay in business. And ultimately, if producers go out of business, in a lot of cases, uh, that's land that that probably is not going to return to production agriculture. It's going to be used for something else. And that is just, uh, it, it flies in the face of what we're talking about in terms of sustainability. So everything that we do as NCBA is done so with that eye on what is the cost, what is the financial burden, and is this going to do something that makes it harder on our members and on cattle producers. But I also, as I said, think it gives us a great talking point as to why we need to be at the table. Because if we're not at the table, then these rules and regulations are going to be passed. And if they are passed, then that's an automatic additional cost on our industry. That's why we have to be there fighting the fight. And again, tailoring that fight, talking about what we've already done and what we're committed to do in the future. As I said, we don't we don't necessarily know what some of those developments are going to be going into the next uh, five, 50 years plus, but we know that the research is going to be ongoing and we're always going to find ways to get better. And a lot of times the ways we get better has a direct impact on, on that bottom line. So again, we are focused on profitability, making sure that we don't put too much of a burden on our producers but also being at the table so that way we can fight back some of those bad ideas that would, without a doubt, put additional costs on uh, cattle producers in the form of compliance with rules and regulations. We have to beat that back and bang the drum on the work that we've already done, work that we have done, again, without the EPA or the government telling us to do. 
Yeah, Colin, I, you know, all of us that are, you know, listening to this conversation here today, we can all think of those those producers and families that have really been at the forefront of uh, environmental stewardship and sustainability. You know, the one of the first people that jumps into my mind from, you know, my region here is Bob Lee with the Robert E. Lee Ranch in central Montana. Growing up knowing Bob my whole life, I served on the Montana Grazing Lands Board with him. And he has been innovative because he's not afraid to go in and ask for, you know, how, how can I, you know, improve my grazing uh, numbers? How, what, what programs through USDA can I jump into to, you know, make sure that I have enough water tanks where I can, you know, spread out my grazing? How, you know, and, and actually he's a past Environmental Stewardship Award winner, national winner uh, th- th- for NCBA. You know, that's who jumps into my head. And, and you know, a lot of people might make the... The, the argument, man, that he, that these folks that, yeah, they, they have these great ideas, but they just, they spend so much time doing it. I don't know if I have the time. Well, I, I think we all, you know, have that argument, whether it's, you know, trying to make the annual uh, uh, cattlemen or stock growers meeting or trying to make it to the cattle industry convention. We're all limited on time. It's just how we, we manage it differently. And that's my, my wheels are always turning about how I can buy some more cows and find, you know, more land to buy or to lease or whatever. So there are really great examples out there um, of the improvements that cattle producers have already made to become more sustainable. Um, what more can there be uh, to looking ahead, whether through its mentorship opportunities with producers like Bob Lee or looking uh, at the environmental stewardship uh, regional winners? Uh, you know, how, how can we work upon all, all of this, the, the blood, sweat and tears that have already gone into these, you know, uh, revolutionized thinking when it comes to being sustainable on your ranch. How can we do that as an association, as state associations, and and just calling up your neighbor down the road and trying to uh, just be a better operator? That's a great question, Blaine, and I think I've probably already said it a dozen times in our conversation thus far about showcasing the great work we've already done. And folks like Bob and his engagement in our Environmental Stewardship Awards Program, ESAP, are great examples of that, where we have footage of what's going on on these operations across the country, whether that's in Montana, whether that's in Hawaii, whether that's in New York State, to be able to take that and get it out to a a wider audience, Uh, take some of these winners and get them in front of Congress. Uh, We do know that the House Agriculture Committee has already told us that the very first hearing they're going to have is going to be on climate change, and they've already reached out to us to find a producer who can come in and testify. That's going to be a great opportunity to take one of these individuals and get them in front of of Congress, but also work on trying to find more effective ways to get them out in front of the consumer. You know, it's it's, it's one thing for, for me to sit here and talk about it. It's another thing for a producer to come off their operation in Montana, come off their operation in Florida, and talk directly to the consumer and said, hi, I was just doing this before I got on the phone with you. That goes a long way. So being able to capitalize on ESAP and not only uh, getting that information out to the consumer, but also spotlighting those people internally. Because as you said, that, that mentorship, being able to share ideas, is also a key component to the ESAP program. That's why we spend so much time 
on it in order to to get those names out there, knowing that their neighbors will contact them. Uh, other producers will contact them and say, hey, I, I saw this as, as one of your best practices. How do you do it? But that also brings up another avenue, because when you look at most of our ESAP winners, many of them have been able to achieve some of these best practices by working with USDA and being able to participate in the Environmental Quality Incentives Program, the EQIP program. If the Biden administration is going to make this a priority and talk about what they can do to get agriculture more involved in climate change, then we need to make sure that there's programs out there to help with that. So making sure that we have a strong EQIP program, uh, making sure that we continue to have access to those federal dollars for not only funding, but also for technical assistance is going to be key. And because they're making this a priority, I think that's an opening for us to go to Congress and lobby for more research funding, too. You know, there's so much good work that's being done. More can be done. And let's make sure that we leverage those government dollars to make it happen. You know, if, if this is going to be a priority, they can't put it all on the backs of the industry. They've got to uh, play their part as well. And that comes through supporting these programs, supporting research and being a true partner in helping us with uh, adaption and adoption of, uh, of new techniques and, and uh, new processes and procedures. Now, uh, Colin, a few, well, a few episodes, uh, quite a few episodes ago, we actually had a, a conversation uh, on sustainability and profitability w- with ranchers and other uh, stakeholders uh, when it comes to ad- addressing the, the conversation about sustainability. And, you know, uh, uh, the, the term sustainability and roundtables is one that many producers ha- have heard about. Uh, some people fully grasp uh, uh, the the idea of a roundtable and having multiple people sitting at the table discussing their viewpoints and and challenges uh, when it comes to sustainability. But a lot of people maybe are fearful of what those roundtables are and and who sits on them. Uh, Can we talk about maybe sustainability and roundtables and uh, what a few of those are that uh, NCBA looks at and and actually sits sits in and uh, shares the producer's perspective uh, to, to other entities that maybe don't understand what ranchers do? So there's two roundtables round in particular that we're a part of, the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef. And there are multiple entities involved in both of those. But two things to note, one, the current head of the Global Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, GRSB, is Bob McCann. And a lot of folks listening to this right now will recognize Bob's name. He's a former NCBA president former president of the Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association, and he is a cattle producer outside of Victoria, Texas. So he understands the need here. He understands how we need to protect ourselves. He understands how we need to talk about this in a way that shows that we're a a part of the solution. And having him leading that roundtable helps us. And in the U.S. roundtable, NCBA serves as uh, providing the, the, the staff support for it, and a lot of members of that are NCBA members too. It goes back to my comment about if you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu. Same thing with these roundtables, because as you mentioned, there are groups there that we don't always agree with. One that comes up time and time again is the World Wildlife Fund. We don't always agree with the World Wildlife Fund. We don't give the World Wildlife Fund money. We're there 
to help hold them accountable. I think that is a, a very um, unique distinction that has to be made in their engagement in the roundtable and our engagement with them. We're not paying them to be a part of this roundtable. We're not paying them to engage with, uh, with, with their policymakers. We're there to hold them accountable for their actions. And I will tell you, because of our engagement, we've actually seen some pro-grazing pieces that have been written by the World Wildlife Fund. But I guarantee you, had NCBA not been at the table pushing them, holding them accountable for, for what they're doing, their research, we never would have seen those uh, written or published. So it, it does show that our engagement there can be very effective and our engagement can change some attitudes. And that's, that's why uh, those roundtables are structured that, that way and that's why we're going to continue to engage. It's not about laying down in front of them. It's not about uh, giving in to their whims. It's about making sure that we keep them honest. So, Colin, when it comes to the work that these roundtables have accomplished, how, how is this benefiting uh, U.S. cattlemen and women uh, that whether they know about them, understand them, or, or, or maybe are a little skeptical, what are some examples that maybe you could share with us to, to understand a little more about what the work is that they're doing? You know, I think the, the biggest thing is just making sure that all the parties are together talking, make sure that we can kind of go through this process with the same understanding of, uh, of, of what sustainability is. And if, if we don't have that same understanding, at least understand what everybody's understanding is and being able to have those definitions in front of us so that way we can react accordingly. But they've also been very effective at uh, looking at the resources out there, helping collect a lot of these data points um, that, that we have shared and will continue to share. So I, I think that's where the roundtables have played a very beneficial role is uh, helping with the scientific community and, and they'll continue to, to play that role moving forward. And, and, it's, and it's a valuable one. At the same time, we're not going to put all of our sustainability efforts just in these roundtables. You know, there's work that we will continue to do as NCBA, as that trusted leader and definitive voice of the cattle industry. Uh, we want to make sure that we're engaged in those roundtables as we are, but we're also doing independent work, ensuring that we are covering all the bases and protecting our members in this discussion, too. So, Colin, as we look at the overall, you know, trajectory of uh, the term sustainability and the work that goes into it, uh, I guess, what's the future of beef, uh, of, the, of the beef industry's sustainability? I guess, what is on the horizon for NCBA and cattle producers? I, I know we've talked quite a bit about, you know, trying to, to, to be there and to, to showcase uh, beef and, uh, and for agriculture to be a part of uh, the climate change conversation uh, with the Biden administration. I guess, So what is the horizon? Uh, what's on the horizon, excuse me, for sustainability in the beef industry? First and foremost, it has to be a realization that the issue is not going away. Uh, it, is, it is here to stay. And especially with the attention that has been focused on climate change by the administration, I guarantee you that that's all we're going to be talking about, it seems like. So first and foremost, everybody who's listening to you right now, everybody in the cattle industry needs to understand that sustainability is, is going to be with us. So we have to, to engage, regardless of whether or not you're in uh, one of those three camps that I talked about earlier. It's, uh, it, it's, it's here. So that gives us an opportunity. Are we going to play ball? 
Are we going to be a leader in this discussion, or are we going to sit back and have rules and regulations placed on top of us without fighting? We're going to fight. We always fight. But fighting can be proactive in nature as well. And that's the approach that we are taking here with this administration. Get out early, tell our story, show the solutions, show some opportunities, and see if we can uh, get in early on solidifying our role as a solution. And if for some reason we get to the point where the administration uh, decides to to take another route, then we're going to be prepared to fight them every inch of the way because, again, it's about protecting ourselves from burdens, protecting ourselves from anything that's going to make it harder to raise cattle than it already is today with all the other issues that we face as producers. Mm-hmm. And Colin, I, I know we've talked quite a bit, and I know we've covered some of these uh, same points quite a lot, but it's just, it, it is vital for the future uh, of our industry. So any last thoughts uh, on the topic of sustainability uh, here today before I maybe uh, uh, encourage producers on some other points uh, that, that I just want to share before we wrap up today's conversation? I think the biggest one that I want everybody to understand is we we don't have the option to just put our head in the sand and hope that this eventually goes away. Uh, We once thought that was going to be the case. It's not the case. As I just said, and I've said multiple times throughout our our podcast here today, Lane, is the issue of sustainability is here. Uh, It's it's not moving. Matter of fact, it's only going to grow. More consumers are going to be asking the questions. More retailers are going to be asking the questions. More restaurants are going to be asking the questions. We have answers for those questions, but we have to make sure that we're playing a proactive leadership role to get that information out. And that is our desire, and that is what you're going to see more and more out of NCBA as as we're the ones that fill the void, protecting ourselves and making sure that we can engage in this from a very positive standpoint that shows, again, the great work we have done and that commitment to doing even more great work in the future. Well, Colin, thanks again for for really diving in and really expanding our our conversation on sustainability. And as you said, be sustainable. We have to be profitable. And and no one would have foreseen the impact that COVID-19 had on producers, especially in the spring of 2020. And and, uh, and I just want to remind producers, and this is pertinent to here, the early part of 2021, Colin, just I, I would encourage producers uh, to, to reach out to their CPAs, their accountants, and uh, and also their, their banks, because uh, they, they can apply for the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, producers can um, uh, on your on your operations, uh, and that funding is based on your Schedule F. And, and how I understand uh, this, of course, this funding is to help your business stay afloat. Uh, we we could not, you know foresee, as I mentioned, the impact that this pandemic is going to have on our operations. And uh, and you could show a loss on your Schedule F, you could show a profit, what, whatever it might be, but that new provisions that was passed by Congress uh, on the first draw of PPP, producers are not eligible for that. And uh, and uh, it doesn't matter that that was passed, you know, back in 2020, the original PPP program. Well, uh, those changes now include uh, to uh, farmers and ranchers, and I would encourage you to, to reach out to your banking institutions because 
we have to be profitable. And I know NCBA worked quite a lot on, on CFAP and PPP, but Colin, I know I, that, that's totally unrelated to this sustainability topic on, on the environmental front, but uh, we need to be sustainable when it comes to profitability. And, and this is a tool. Yeah, I don't like going through the process and, and having to do this in terms of uh, uh, of getting this uh, these loans, but hey, it, it's going to help me and my little cow herd pay the bills. I appreciate you bringing that up because it's important that we do take advantage of these programs because NCBA worked very hard to make sure that cattle producers could qualify for PPP because, as you said, that's not always been the case. And had we not been there as part of the discussion throughout 2020, I guarantee you we would not have the opportunities that we have today. So get out there. As you said, talk with your uh, your, your financial uh, advisors with your CPAs, make sure that you know all the ins and outs from what we've heard from our producers who have applied. It's been a fairly easy process, so don't let the process keep you from applying. Uh, get out there and take advantage of this. You would mentioned CFAP, too. Uh, we are hearing that there may be yet another uh, payout of CFAP sometime here in the next couple of months. Uh, CFAP is the result of money that NCBA secured in the CARES Act that was passed by Congress in the beginning of this pandemic. And the former Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, has told multiple groups that it hadn't been for NCBA, that would have not have passed. And so, you know, not only were we able to help cattle producers, but everybody in agriculture who ultimately got a CFAP payment, I think, uh, needs to understand that it was it was NCBA and our full-time presence in Washington, D.C. And the fact that we never shut our office down during that COVID pandemic, we were engaged. We were there every day. We helped make this happen. So get out there and take full advantage of it. Again, uh, uh, thanks for for adding that in there, Colin. Again, just uh, and if, if folks are listening to this uh, conversation three or four years from now, hopefully we're having uh, bumper prices on on our calves and whatnot. But uh, as of uh, here at the end of January 2021, as Colin said, reach out to your financial advisors and your financial institutions, and uh, and and make sure to uh, part partake in in this opportunity to to just. Uh, keep paying the bills on your operation. Uh, uh, Colin, I know it's a busy day down in the Denver office. Uh, any last thoughts you want to share with our cattlemen and women here on the podcast today? Just make sure that we're going into 2021 with that right mindset. And the mindset needs to be looking at sustainability as an opportunity for us, not as a burden. That's the way we're approaching it. And I hope everybody will help us see it the same way, because that's our goal is to make sure that we, we, we keep you profitable that we keep this from being a burden, but at the same time showcasing the great work that we're doing every single day in not only managing the natural resources that we have uh, been granted, but also the welfare of our animals. And as a result, putting the world's best protein on the plates of Americans and people around the globe. Okay. Hey, Colin, again, thanks for your comments today and your insight on this very important topic for the entire industry. Again, for, for more on NCBA and programs like the Environmental Stewardship Award Program, just visit ncba.org. And again, uh, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Colin Woodall, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Lane. And that will do it for this edition of the Cattlemen's Call podcast. I'm Lane Northland. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordland. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.